Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. <laughs> happiness is egg-shaped. Wait, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg-Shaped. And the power of the podcast was brought forward to me last week when I got a phone call from a former Scotland international, a man who I've never actually met, but I've admired, I've watched, I've sat at Murrayfield and seen him play for Scotland. And I remember his one and only try for his country. And although he didn't really look happy, you knew he was pretty proud that he crossed the whitewash and scored his first try against Ireland for Scotland. The power of the podcast. He'd listened to the David Smith podcast and he said, I've got a story to tell. And he gave me a phone call and we were on the phone for about an hour. I was sat in the car absolutely roasting, just listening to this man tell his stories. A Scotland international, a very, very successful businessman. And I have to tell you a secret. I'm a little bit scared because he's an angry, aggressive, full-throttle former rugby hooker. And I was a standoff who didn't like contact. So we're going to see how this goes, because he's intimidating me through the screen. So to keep him waiting no longer, please welcome the one and the only Mr. Kevin McKenzie. Hello, sir. Hello. Bruce, how are you doing? Good. Be gentle with me, please. No, no, I'm a reformed character. A reform character who has just finished off with their business, I hear. Yeah, yeah, I've, uh, uh, I've done 28 years with Taylor Max on it now since I went back in 2000 after uh, my rugby career uh, came to an end. And 
and unfortunately, the you know, I, I thought I could probably go straight back into the modeling, but the, the, there just wasn't a demand in the balaclavas and crash helmet section of which, uh, obviously, I was going to start. So you've just sold the business and you're looking forward to what comes next. Have you got any ideas? Well, as I said, uh, I, I think a bit of time off, and, uh, as we discussed earlier, I've, I'm, I'm just on my second uh, knee replacement, which is a little gift from my, <laughs> my rugby career. But uh, so uh, I've been going through the rehab with one of those. And then two weeks ago, I got the other one done. So it'd be nice just to uh, be out of pain and get hopefully get back to the golf course and and uh, yeah, just start and relax and enjoy myself. As I said, a bit like my rugby career, the, the your work career is you, you, you put so much into it to try and get the life that you want at the, at the end of it. And uh, sometimes you, you know, uh, forget to sort of enjoy yourself in the middle. But don't get me wrong, I, 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 it's not that I'm not having a night out, but if you're in sales, it's, it's fairly relentless. And, you, you know, every Monday you start afresh and, you know, I used to have this joke with my brother who was coaching rugby at the time and he said, you know, oh, you've got a great job. You just drive about in your car, you know, talking to everybody and it's the easiest job in the world. And, and I said, yeah, yeah, that, that's right. Uh, you know, I'll get you a job in the, in the same. But now he's switched from rugby coaching to having his own business. So uh, he understands fully the pressures on you to, and as I said, every week you start for afresh. It doesn't matter what, what your best, you know, if you've had a good year, if you've had a good few years, as I said, in the sales game, it's just uh, a case of being relentless and it just starts again every every Monday morning. What was your sales technique? Did you scare folk into buying from you? you no, know, the, the, well, the funny thing is it's, it's, a bit like, uh, it's a bit like, as I said, uh, playing rugby and getting to know. It's, it's all about getting to know people. Everyone thinks that sales is, uh, you know, coming up with this spiel and, you know, uh, dazzling people with you, you know, what you can offer them. But, I've found that when I retired from rugby, the good thing was that a lot of people, because I was fairly recognisable uh, with my size and, and, and obviously, you know, my height uh, and, the, and the size I was, they knew I did some kind of sport. So, and I'd be coming most of the time with bumps and bruises because I, I went through the amateur stage of, uh, you know, when we were working full time, playing rugby full time and then, uh, then, I, then I rugby went full time and I went part time work and then, just you know, in the last 22, uh, 28 years, I've been back uh, working, you know, full time. Uh, so, as I said, the guys will still phone me up if Scotland are playing. Uh, regular customers saying, "Oh, this Scotland team are terrible. Oh, we need to get you back." Or they would phone up and slag you, you know, if uh, if they'd seen you and give you a good. And then, of course, they'd just say, and at the end of the conversation, they say, "Oh no, and by the way, I need five loads of this, or I need four loads of this," and and you became almost like a friend uh, and most of my guys that I've ended up doing business with have, be have become a built a relationship as well about their, their kids, their family, being interested and, and and also, you know, doing what it says on the tin. You, you'll get a couple of chances. If you if you tell somebody something's going to happen and then it doesn't happen, you'll get maybe one more chance. But over the years, as I said, I'll do anything. I'll jump through any hoop. I'll do whatever to make sure that somebody gets a load. It might not always be exactly when they think they're getting it, but, you know, I can go back and I can shake somebody's hand and, and if, if we've done a deal, you know, and, and people over a period of time, you know, you, you, that's how you build your reputation. It's a bit like rugby. Uh, and if you do what it says in the tin, people come back. 
and you know you can then build into other things and and you know hopefully have a bit of fun as well. But uh, no, it's been a it's been it's been a journey. As I said a bit a bit like the rugby. It's it's a competitive market here, and and it, it all depends what you want out of life. And and I, and I've found with both rugby and work, you know. One man's dream is, is is alien to someone else. Someone might want something completely different, but what you have to decide in your life is how hard you're prepared to work for what you what you want and the sacrifices you're going to have to make uh, to to get there. And but at the end of it, you know, uh, and as I said, you can't you can't make somebody's dreams. I've I've got kids and and and. You know their dreams are, are not my, are not my dreams, and it's very difficult to try and motivate people to someone to do something that you want. Uh, you, you can give them advice, uh, just like when I, I done a bit of coaching when I first retired. And you never really change people's personalities, uh, but you want to try and bring them into an environment where they can achieve, you know, the best that they can achieve. But again, they need to have the drive themselves. And, and what I've seen before is you can try and motivate people, but at the end of the day, you know, if you want something, you've got to go that extra mile. You've got to do the preparation uh, and to get to that end goal. Whatever your end goal is and whatever floats your boat, that's what, when people don't see you getting up at five in the morning and driving to Newcastle and having to be back for training at six o'clock, uh, you know, they don't see that. They don't see the Monday, Wednesday, Friday weight sessions. They don't see the Tuesday, Thursday, and then the Murrayfield every Sunday morning for most of my life. They don't see that. Uh, they only see the bit when you turn up to the door or you turn up to that match. Uh, but, but what goes on away from the lights is the bit that matters, and it's whether you've got that dedication and drive to actually put that time and effort in that's required to make it, and that's the difference between people who are successful and people who think they want to be successful. But again, it takes it takes that uh, sacrifice and, 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 and time. Uh, and it's no overnight, you know. It's, it's taken me, I've worked for Telemaxel for 28 years, so I've, I've put in a shift. Uh, and yes, I've, you know, I'll do all right out of it, but I, mean, I, I don't have any qualms about that because of, you know, uh, I've put the effort in, so... You hear you hear a lot of people making transfer from sport into business and and taking skills that they've learned in sport. But you've been in this situation where sport and business were together. You were an amateur player, but were almost trying to be professional in your approach. You weren't getting paid, but you were professional in your approach. You were then having to do a job. You then become a full time rugby player that and you know we've spoken about this before and hopefully we'll go on to speak about this during the pod that nobody actually knew what a professional was it was being made up as as folk went along you then finish your rugby career and you go back into this professional environment where you've obviously worked hard and become incredibly successful the longer i do these podcasts the more i find the person that's sitting on the other side of the screen is a product of the journey they've been through Let's go right the way back. I mean, rugby for you must have been quite an alien environment to pick up from from where you came from. Well, if I just say that, I, I'm not here to say that, you know, that I had a, uh, you know, my I grew up and had a wonderful childhood. But, you know, I grew up on a council estate in Dunblane. Uh, and I was when I was five years old, the walk to the shops through George Street Park was quite a daunting experience. 
and I knew I wanted out of there. Now, as I said, I, I'm a I'm a sort of product of somebody else's vision. Somebody at Stirling County, two guys uh, at Stirling County had this vision when they got into Division Seven to to invent mini rugby, and this uh, mini rugby was invented the year before uh, that I actually took up. So it was like the second year, and what they had, their vision was to go to schools like Dunblane, the Ratlock, Clean, all the sort of mining villages and around Stirling, and give people a chance at seven year old to go and play rugby so luckily you know a few friends who I'm still friends with to this day five or six of us all went along Robbie Smith Martin Robertson you know myself David Malcolm like just a group of guys from Dunblane that I didn't even know what rugby was I had no idea and in those days I had been to Butlins twice on my holidays that was as far as I as I had traveled and then my first day at rugby, I went in and, you know, uh, I'm running about and we really, really enjoyed the, the, the time and it was good fun. And then we got a Stirling County strip and, you know, the, the guys just encouraged us. And, and as I said, we went, at that time it was, yeah, seven to 12 year old and then uh, 12 to 14 on a Sunday. And then obviously there was the under 18s to go to. So really from that moment my, my life changed uh, i didn't know at that time that i was entering into this brotherhood that would look after me and change my life at the time it, it wasn't this life-changing thing i just you know robbie was my vehicle and i could see a way out of what the life that, that i was in and, and my mom and dad you know my dad worked for the council uh, my mom was a, was a, a, a cook at an, an old people's home and you know We'd, I didn't think about travel or, or getting away. I didn't think rugby would, would bring me that. But going along, and as I said, we started uh, winning quite a lot of tournaments. And we got into this mentality that, you know, we thought we were the best, right? Now, we were only seven to eight-year-old, but, you know, we, 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 we thought, we, you know, this was always the way. We didn't know about the politics and what rugby had been, mainly private school and, and, and heavy, you know, Edinburgh on the borders. Because this was a completely new thing in Stirling. So, as I said, guys like George Graham from Ratlock had never, you know, went near a, a rugby club. Ian Jarden from Clean, Kenny Logan was a farmer, you know, going to Wallace High School. So somebody just gave us this chance. And then when we started winning, we, we started bonding and we thought, are we quite like this? And then, you know, very soon after that, I met uh, Hamish Logan, who was uh, Ali's brother. And he was playing for West at the time. And he, he always said to me, oh, listen, you, you're going to play for Scotland. And I was just a wee guy at the time. But for, for someone to come up and say that to you, it was incredible. And I thought, do you know, maybe I can. Because we were beating everybody at Royal High Tournaments and, and all the big sort of tournaments. Canvas Lang were another team that really got into the mini rugby. And it was fantastic. So we had a, we had a bond. And also, <sighs> sounds funny, but... I was going about with quite a bad crowd in my age group and Robbie and, and Martin and the other guys were a year older than me and as soon as I was starting going to the rugby, obviously I was, you know, going along more with them and spending more time with them and it took me out the environment I was in and they sort of looked after me and then when the other ones that, you know, that I was mucking about with, they weren't too happy but because I was in this group, you know, that was me part of you know, the rugby scene, if you like. And also, because we were doing quite physical activity, we were all getting stronger and fitter. And 
you know, getting bigger. So for then on, you know, I never had any issues going to the shop or, or you know, people actually just left us alone because, you know, uh, and, and also then the funny thing is that the turn of that is when we started getting successful and I started getting into like the Scottish schools and stuff, the guys from Dumblain all loved it. You know, if I was going to Dumblain, they'd say, oh, well done, you know, it's really good to see you getting on and, and they sort of followed my career. So the, it wasn't that we fell out, but I just went down a, a different path. And uh, as I said, we went right through the whole uh, Scottish schools. I, I was in the Scottish schools for three years and I was captain under 21. So I've been through the, the full, uh, you know, uh, rugby sort of programme, if you like. And, and as I said, I, you know, I was just lucky that, you know, somebody had this vision uh, Sterling, and then, because of course, when we got to the under 18s, we were coming out the under 18s and we were going, we win everything, right? We don't lose to Melrose, we, we don't lose to Watsonians. Or, you know, the big clubs and the, the establishment didn't mean anything to us because we, we actually were used to winning. Uh, and we built up this sort of uh, we're against the world mentality, you know, that we were underdogs and that we were all going to work together. And again, because everyone was working together and it was a real mix of different you know cultures and people and it, and it was a brutal environment and i tell you, you you grow up quick when you come out of under 18s and you go into senior rugby uh that is that that's the biggest shock to the system and then you realize that you're not as hard as you think you are because you're dealing with real men and then you start listening to people uh guys like brian roberts and i was i, I was incredibly lucky i had, I had brian robertson and, and uh, eddie pollock in the front row with me big Stuart Hamilton behind me. So, you know, I'd get them into probably more trouble than, than they would, you know. Uh, when you got into when you got into Scotland squads, were there people that you looked at and thought they're they're ahead of me or they're the real deal? Was there anyone that you looked at and you thought, right, they're now my target. I need to be better than them or I need to I've I've heard that they're doing that thing. So now I need to go and find that thing. No I was I was already sort of a bit ahead of the game with that because my Sunday school teacher, the guy called Dave Cross, uh, sort of has always been my uh, real guide on the the moral front, and and also he took a lot of interest in me when I when I when I was just a young guy, and and we talked about this, and Arnold Schwarzenegger was my hero, uh, and I used to what I'd pick get body burn building monthly every every month, and Arnold would be going to the Olympias and such things. And I just loved the fact that he, you know, he used to say there was 24 hours in a day and you only sleep eight. So, you know, you've got the rest of the time to train. And, and he said it, it took five hours a day for him to become, you know, what he became. And, and I sort of, uh, Dave and I just came up with a programme. We went to the QB school, got a wee gym, and he got me starting powerlifting. And, and this was at a time, you know, where nobody was doing weights. Some of some of the guys would maybe be doing a bit of, a bit of training, but nobody was doing. He was full blown into powerlifting, squatting, deadlifting, bench press, and you know I was twelve year old, and and uh, as I said, when I played for the under 18s, I was nine stone nine, and the under 15s, and then in the under 21s, I was nearly sixteen stone. So the transformation I can see in the pictures, you know, in the under 15 picture, I've got this like tiny wee neck, and then. By the time I got to the under twenty ones, I was, you know, and I, and and I, there was even when I was going to the Scotland sessions, I was looking at the physicality of some of the guys and going, 
you know, I'm in a, I'm in, I'm not saying I'm in a different league, but strength-wise, I'm not saying I was a better rugby player, but conditioning-wise and power-wise, I'd been putting in the, the Monday, Wednesday, Friday sessions every night for you know eight years, nine years. So I was, I was, and, and again, as I was saying, that gives you the confidence that you know you can compete even if you're a weak eye. I knew that I could squat, you know, two over two hundred kilos. I could bench press one hundred and seventy easy for ten reps. So I, I knew that that's heavier than any guy that you're going to play against. So I knew that I could compete. Uh, but again, the big problem was getting the opportunity. And as, as I found out in later life, life's not just all about whether you're good enough. It's about getting the opportunity. It's about belief. Uh, and, and I had that. And, I, and maybe wrongly, I, I thought I was the best. I didn't want to be the best Scotland player. I wanted to be the best rugby player in the world. And my goal was firmly set on playing, playing for the, the Lions. That was the only thing in my mind. And not getting picked for Scotland was stopping me reaching my goal. But, you know, as I said, I, 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 on, I failed in that. But in most things, I failed in most things in my life. But failure is not, you know, I don't, I, failure and death don't bother me. Yeah, I, just the two things don't, don't bother me because I would rather die trying to do something than walk away and have it on my mind for the rest of my life. So, as I said, going on uh, other things, I'm I'm am in a good place. Rugby and me, I, I, I absolutely love rugby now. I didn't at the time because I was trying. I was so much in it that I was getting frustrated, and I was. So is some of that because you were you were the wee guy from the wee place? Was yeah. were, were you trying? Were you trying to put forward a persona that you thought was the right one, or just? it was what you'd become it was what the situation had created I think in my position I'm what you're always going to be aggressive right now I'll, I try and explain it to people saying you know there's there's some people that will take things to a certain level right but there's a line that they won't cross right I wasn't a very good artist right so that that line didn't exist for me I would do whatever ever I had to do and, and that involved brutality, playing rugby. Now, rugby is a bully sport, you know, and, and the position I play in the falls is not particularly nice at times. It's very confrontational, which I like, uh, and you've got the person you're up against right there. So you can work out fairly quickly in a scenario. It, it, it's not all about skill. And I wouldn't say, I, look, I had skills, but what I found out, through this process is what what I did have was I've, I've, got, I've got emotion, right? Things, you know, I'll be sitting crying at Little House in the Prairie. If, you know, if DIY SOS comes on, I'm the man, right? In pieces, in pieces. I go with some of the hardest men that I've ever met in my life. And at the end of the night, we're all giving it, oh, I love you, brother, you know, and, you know, we're slavering and, you know, but, but that is not a weakness. I think emotion, as I said to you, we discussed earlier that a few things I've went through, and my emotion has driven me, my mind to things that my body probably wasn't capable of. Right, let's 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 pick that one up then, because your emotion was the fuel that fired Kevin McKenzie, the rugby player, probably Kevin McKenzie, the salesman. But the emotion that you've just spoken about there of "I love you, brother," and that's a that's a different type of emotion. That must have been a difficult thing to show when you were trying to be Kevin McKenzie, the rugby player? 
yeah, oh, nobody else got to see that other than the, the guys that I played at Stillermer. You know, that was kept for them. Everyone else was the enemy. And, and that's why I laugh now, because I was stupid in some ways. You know, as I said, if I was coming to speak to you as a, the 21-year-old that was, the 21-year-old who I was, and I wasn't getting picked for Scotland, totally different animal, you know, because I knew I was the best, right? And I knew I should have been there, and there was politics and different things in the way. But I, I just refused to accept that that was right, and I had to wait my time. But eventually, you know, I, I just put more and more focus into my training and stuff like that. But again, I'd go to games, play against somebody like Melrose or whatever, uh, no speak to anyone after the game, uh, even after internationals, playing against England and stuff. I was involved in two Grand Slam deciders, 95 and 96, and I, I, I'd barely speak to the people because I didn't like them. They were the enemy, you know? And and nowadays I go back to golf outings and things like that, and I sit with, you know, Jason Leonard and... Phil Vickery and guys like that, and they're the absolute salt of the earth. And now I've realised that they just wanted to play for their country the way that we did, and they had the fun and the the last and and their sides, and and we had we had the same. Don't get me wrong, I, I mean I did switch off, but I was that focused on trying to prove to people that I could do this because, as I said, I didn't want to. I was going on the Lions tour. That was the only thing that interested me. The Scotland thing I knew would come. Because if I got an opportunity, I would take it. And as as proved, you know, in, in 96, I, I'd been waiting. I've been on the bench 25 times. My mental health was not good at that time because I was going full-blown even more into training. But I was getting worse because I was getting more evil. And I, and I could feel myself drifting and uh, doing things that I, I was not that proud of uh, in games. I was taking people out. I was taking people in my way out and and I was, I'm not saying I was out of control, but there was no, I didn't have a filter of what was right and what was wrong and I'd be hurting people. Did anybody try and say to you, was there anybody around at the time that gave you a tap on the shoulder and said, Kev, you, you need to calm it? No, I mean, there was no there was no such thing as mental health in those days. You know, you just get into it. I just went and trained and trained harder and went out running around, you know, a Sunday night after I'd trained all week, uh, out running you know, 11, 12 at night, you know, running around and playing punching trees. And, and you know, like, I, I probably was, I'd, I'd had enough by this time of the establishment and all the excuses about, you know, why they couldn't have picked me because I'm too small. I'd played against Sean Fitzpatrick, the best hooker in the world. And he came out and went, oh, where's this guy been? And I'm saying he's been sitting on the bench 25 times, you know. And to, in 95, you know, I'd come to the end of the World Cup. I'd went to the World Cup, played the opening game, won 100 nil, and then sat on the bench six times, you know. And there was guys playing that, you know, as I said, I had trained that year for the World Cup, like, relentlessly. And I was, as I'm just sitting looking at a picture of the, on the wall, actually, and, and I was in the best shape of my life in South Africa. The ground was hard. I was as fit and, and as you know, powerful as I, I could ever be in the best shape of my life, you know, and I, I got one out and, you know, I never got off the bench. I sat and watched us play against the All Blacks and John Alomu and I'd, I'd love to have been on the park. But in those days, the guys wouldn't come off because they knew if you came off, somebody gave somebody else a chance. And there was this, you know, the 15 and then the subs, if you like, it was, we hadn't quite got into that integrated squad uh, mentality that you would have now. So as I said, I, I I was a wee bit 
I got to the stage, you know, of the 21, and then I'm thinking I should be getting capped. And then I didn't get my first cap till I was 26. So my best years had probably gone. Uh, and, I, and, and that's sad because, I, I, again, as I said, my goal was to be in the British Lions. And when I, you talked to in 96, I came in 96 and Kenny Mellon had retired. And I, I scored the tie in the opening, the opening game. It was unbelievable. And then, you know, I got voted, uh, like, forward of the, the tournament or something because we got to a Grand Slam beside her. So they picked the, the 60 for the Lions. And, and I was I was going on that trip. I had filled the form out with my sizes and everything. And basically, I just had... Extra to, small, you know, extra small, extra small. <laughs> well, no, it was pretty good on the sizes because basically I was a 48-inch chest and just cut the trousers in half, you know. <laughs> So when when you scored against Ireland, because uh, everybody remembers that try, I'm not sure why, but if, I, I don't know if it was because it was you or <laughs> could you enjoy it, or is it taking you a long time to enjoy it? I I, I think uh, if anyone's ever seen it, I get up and I absolutely sprint like you know a scalded cat all the way back to the halfway line. And 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 the thing is that I was so excited and so exhilarated, I just didn't know what to do. And you know, and all the NFL, they've all got their fancy handshakes and everything like that. I mean, it was just I, I was actually startled, and I just sprinted by, and I looked at it now and go, oh, you know, you should have come up there. But I, it was just like an outpour of emotion because it was I'd been sitting on the bench, and it was funny at that time. Uh, Woody was the on the bench for Ireland. And I was actually playing against Terry Kingston. At that time, uh, Woody was not even in the frame for the Lions. And, uh, you know, we, we had that five nations. As I say, we got to a Grand Slam decider. And then the Knicks, you know, it was coming through now to 97. And we were starting the five nations again. But the Lions tour was in the June. So the letters had went out to the first 60 saying, you know, on the performance of the previous uh, five nations, that you know you were in the in the squad, and so I basically thought it was down to basically that four games for me to get you know secure my Lions place, uh, and then as I say, I was booked to play against uh, Wales on the twenty seventh of January. Everything was going along swimmingly, and then uh, to be fair, I, I had I had about I'd got a, in the first test out in New Zealand, as I said in ninety six, we played the Five Nations, and then we went on tour to New Zealand. And to go out to New Zealand as a Scots, young Scotsman was just incredible. I mean, and to play, you know, Eden Park and the House of Pain uh, down in Dunedin and to face the hacker. And I mean, to be honest, that was, to me, I call it my year in heaven, but like it was still encountered one that, and it was really two seasons, but 95, 96, Stirling had won the first division, which was an incredible journey with all my pals that had come right up through the minis and to actually lift that trophy and prove that, you know, it, it could be done was amazing. And then to get picked, you know, playing all the, the Grand Slam decider uh, and get to, you know, that game. And then next thing we're off to New Zealand. And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be standing at Eden Park. And if you went through that All Blacks team, it was incredible. I mean, the back three was uh, uh, Jeff Wilson, John Olomu and Christian Cullen. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, you know, so we talk it's about decent. You know, it's decent. The ball, you know, like and I mean Frank once was playing you had in the forwards it was all bound, Fitzpatrick, uh, Craig, Craig Dowd, Dowd uh, Ian Jones, 
Michael Jones, Josh Cronfield, Tinzan Brook, you know. I, like, I'm just going, I'm just so happy I'm there. Like, and then people are saying, oh, but they're doing the, they're doing the hack. I'm going, yeah, they're doing it for me. This is for me. Like, I've, I've earned this. Like, I'm, I, they, they're going to do this for me and I'm going to love it. I'm, I'm just going to stand and, you know, take it all in. And that was, that was an amazing uh, year for me. Just, so did that make all the five years yeah. previous where you were yeah. hacked off worth it? Honestly, I'd forgotten about it. It's amazing how quickly you forget hardship and all the training and, and all the all the, the, the badness. It was, it was as if it had been, and everyone, you know, was was, was kind of, I made friends for this time with a lot of people in the Scotland team. Uh, I'd begin to realise that just because Craig Chalmers and Doddy played for Mel was that, they, you know, they were still actually nice people. But anyway, that, 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 that's a learning process. And as I said, for uh, just a quick story, but check it out. Chick was hated in Stirling because he was like he was like the leader. He was like Chick. Chick loved being hated everywhere. Oh, he, he, they hated him. The crowd, you know, had a special sort of you know group that just gave him abuse the whole time. And I remember Jimmy McLaren stood on him and whatever and got him off the park and and it, you know and for ages and ages like Chick and I just didn't see eye to eye. And then we were at the Hong Kong Football Club once uh, the sevens. And I'm in the toilet and then I, in, in walks Craig and I just went, oh no. And I turned around and I looked and I said, right, I said, are we rolling about the tails or are we going for a beer? And he says, oh, I will go for a beer. Eh? And, and, that, and that was it. You know, I've had a fantastic friendship with me. And also Craig was a trainer and I appreciated, you know, being close to him when you were, uh, when you were playing with him and stuff. You realised, you know, okay, he's caught, he was, again, he had an arrogance about him which I probably would be labelled with, but, but that's born out of the physical training that he did and the work, the work that he put in off the park. And, you, you know, you know you could always count him as well. He was, a, you know, he would always be in there. And, I, and, and I get, I, it took me a wee while, uh, you know, to, for us to bond because we're, but we're one of that dissimilar, really, in, in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I mean, Chick will come up and play golf and, Brian Redpath and obviously Doddy and the, and the rest of the guys and and that's a that was a lesson for me I think uh, as we'll go on and talk about later when I went through a bit of adversity in life uh, you know when you when you when you that's when you need your pals and that's when you realise that there's more to life than rugby which so if you if you saw somebody if you saw somebody now at Stirling County or you were at a game and you saw somebody behaving the way you were. Yeah. What? So maybe what I'm saying to you is, what would you say to 23 year old Kevin McKenzie? Well, the, the, a lot of the stuff that I, yeah, it's a bit like the, the the cycling and drugs and things like that. What was acceptable then is totally unacceptable now. Uh, rugby is is is, is now a, a physical sport, right? And guys are training, you know, and the weights. Are, so it's probably a harder game in a lot of ways. But the violence, the level of violence in the forwards. Uh, was 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 fairly brutal in those days, and but even at club rugby, so you either fought your way, <laughs> or I'm afraid you got bullied, and you and, and if you if somebody's bullying you, you 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 know you're just getting dominated, and that's that's that was kind of the way it was, and and so it, it's a game fit for today, uh, and but the funny thing is that I always seem to have a I bump into people now, and and the worse I was, or the more you know 
sort of respect, if you like, that we had for each other. You usually, you know, we'll come and we'll give each other a hug and then we'll, we'll laugh about, you know, you standing on someone or, you know, a fight that you had or, Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But and, and the teams that you used to play against now I have a great banter and that's why I'm, why I'm trying to say to people now when I, when I go into my news adventure is that that's the life that you make with the sacrifices that you, you put in and now I, I'm having great fun now bumping into people when I'm playing golf uh, you know that I used to play against and other internationalists, you know, maybe just standing at the airport and the next thing Jeremy Guskett will come up and tap me on the shoulder and say, all right, me man, how you doing? But you play, you're playing golf. And, and you're like, you know, Zinzan Brook, and, and I had a great night up at Loch Lomond. And, you know, he come, he came up to me the next morning and he, he shook my hand and he said, oh, God, I had a great night last night. And I, when he went away, I had, to say, I had to take a minute. I'm on the phone to my wife saying, Zinzan Brook, this, is, this guy's like, Superhero. I, I, my name's on the list, right, which I'm very proud of. But the, these guys are on a different level. I was never, you know, I played against them and I, I got into the arena, but I never felt as if, you know, I was just trying to get Kevin McKenzie on the list uh, to satisfy my own, you know, because as I said, if, if I hadn't got, eventually hung in there and got my caps, the life I lead now would be, I, I, I I don't know emotionally or whatever, because that isn't, that's it. Although I'm, I'm more than that, I'm sort of Kevin McKenzie in my mind, a rugby player. And if I hadn't got the caps and hung in there till, you know, six years after when I probably should have got them and eventually got, you know, had, had this year where, you know, we went away and I got, actually got selected for the Lions and was in the, you know, was in the, at least to be talked about. Uh, and no, no talking about noise. Five feet six, always temperament, whatever. They were talking about me being, you know, a starter. You know, like just even to be in that equation for me is because uh, all I ever wanted was other people to think I was good. And you know, you've no idea the work I put into that. Because uh, as I said, if I'm going to do something, I, I do give it the full monty, uh, and I'll give it 100% commitment. And that's, I'll make a plan, but unlike. Most people, I'll religiously follow that plan, whether I'm going training at 12 o'clock at night, whether I've got to get up at, you know, as I said, for a period of time, I had to get back to Stirling for six o'clock for training. So any time I was doing business, I had to leave at four and five in the morning to get to Newcastle because it was a three-hour journey back up. But that, that's what you do when, you, when you're trying to be a rugby player. And I, I realised fairly early on that if guys who were amateur rugby players, right, were quite good, 
they, they had their home life sorted and they had their training sorted because to have time to go and actually do the rugby, you've got to have all that in place. You've got to have a decent job and you can no sneak away. But as I said, you don't want to be cutting hair or on a building site because when it comes to the going on tour for six weeks in the summer, you know, they're not going to let you off. Like, so you, you to, to be become an amateur international rugby player, you've got to, one, get yourself in a job where you, you can fit the rugby in and, and balance the two and try and, you know, go forward. And as I said, I, I, when, I become a, when I then became a full-time professional, it was, I had so much time. I actually had to go back and do a bit of work because, you know, the, the, my life wasn't, a, you know, wasn't, I had been juggling both. You know, as I said, the, the normal day for 10 years was Monday, Wednesday, Friday, weights, religiously, right? No exception, whether it, whatever time it was. Tuesday, Thursday, rugby club training. Uh, Saturday game, massive session, out, up the town, sing a few songs. Murrayfield, nine o'clock, and picking Kenny and Logan and, and Jardy up. And with just about every Sunday in life, we'd have a session in Murrayfield, right for under 15, 18, 21, 18, full team. Uh, that was, you'd be five hours at my field, you know, getting Jim for pushing concrete blocks and, you know, getting absolutely beastly after you'd had a full session and usually a, a right good uh, kick at the ball on the night out as well. Uh, so that, that life was so full. When being a, a professional rugby player is actually not that difficult. I spoke to, I've spoken to a few people about that who were amateurs. Like you're saying, life was full and then they were training in the morning and they didn't know what to do in the afternoon. I remember speaking to, I think Graham Beveridge did a, an open university course and couldn't buy computer games fast enough because he was just going through them. People went from, like you say, organizing their life, being full from the minute they wake up to the minute their head hits the pillow again. And then they all of a sudden had time, but not really time where they could do anything constructive. So you still had flexibility for work to stimulate that. Yeah. What, what was it like being a professional rugby player? Because it must have changed life overnight. Yeah, I mean, the, the only problem is, because we were the first, when we came back for the World Cup, all of a sudden, seven of us got offered professional contracts. So this, these, these would be the first ever professional contracts. So uh, we were signed up to go to Moneyfield. So, but in those days, because we were getting money, all of a sudden, you know, the, the coaches, I think, had to sort of prove to people that we were being worked hard. So we, we trained out the back of Moneyfield on the, like the car park, which is quite a solid surface because it's got the concrete underneath it. And I think that's why most of us have got uh, repetitive strain injuries. I mean, I've had my Achilles done. This is, you know, I had three knee operations. This is, I've had two knee replacements. Because like, like, we're doing two-minute runs and things like that, training every day, you know, for four or five hours. It, this was before the days of training like an athlete. We, we were being sort of almost beasted uh, because all of a sudden we were getting money and, you know, people were thinking, oh, well, they've got to be training and they've got to be doing this. And I said, we were already pretty fit because most of the guys were doing quite a lot of training as it was. But it just for that period of time, uh, I think there's a lot of people from that era now, new hips, I know that, you know, just everyone I know, my friends that played at that time, I've had some kind of joint replacement because the body's no meant for that level of uh, continual, you know, abuse. And also, if you're, I mean, I was 
be, but I'd be probably the lightest guy because I'm quite small. I would be nearly 16 stone, but running around that, those hard pitches constantly, uh, you know, at that weight. But imagine, you know, guys like, you know, Peter Walton or, you know, guys who were, who were big and a lot of the props as well. And then we, we'd be doing fitness testing on the track and they'd get the fitness guys always had to get their, all their data and stuff like that. So I remember doing a 100-metre test on the track at Murrayfield on the Monday after playing Australia on the Saturday. And I could hardly, I could hardly feel my legs. And Dave McLean said, no, we need to get your results. You've not done your results for the 100 meter test. And I'm like, you, you don't know what? You know, like, my, my legs are still swollen up for, you know, the squatting and the running about and also, obviously, a full game. And we're doing fitness on the Monday, doing a 100-meter bleak test. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, thankfully now there's a more sort of professional, uh, and I think, guys, uh, it's less is more, you know, they'll be doing speed endurance, they'll be doing high-intensity sessions in the gym an hour, you know, powerlifting. I mean, as I say, some of the guys, in this, even in the Super 6 and stuff, some of the weights that they're doing now is incredible. Uh, so, as I said, it's a different game, but back in the day, uh, you basically sorted everything out between yourself. The referees, there was no even touch judges, you know, so the touch judge would be, wouldn't interfere in anything, it'd be so anything. So what went on in the park went on. And you sorted it out between yourself. And as I said, you know, it was, I'm not saying it was, it was kill or be killed, but it was a, a fairly tough environment. And if you showed any weakness, you know, especially as I said, if you're playing against South Africa, New Zealand, Australia, you, you just can't show any weakness. So you've got to have this persona. But as I said to people, it's all in the preparation. My, my coach keeps getting trimming it into me, you know. Poor preparation means piss poor performance. And that's when we move through my life. So I'm not turning up to play the All Blacks hoping I have a good game. I'm I'm standing in that lineup watching John Olomu and the guys like Sinzan Book and that that I'm playing against and going, Shit, thank God I've done I've done my squats. I can squat what can I squat? I can squat two twenty, I can leg press three hundred kilos, I can I, if it comes to a fight, you know, there's only two of us in the room. And I'm convincing myself, like, I'm absolutely bricking it, right? But I'm convincing myself, and I'm putting this face on, going, I'm the hardest man. I'm not worried about your all blacks. Jim Tevlin was funny, because he, at the training session, he said, look, we're concentrating on ourselves. We're not even worried about New Zealand. But they've got Lomo in that wing, and they've got Christian <laughs> Tevlin at the back, you know, and they go through the team. And we'd all, we'd all be laughing under our breath, going, Christ, we've not got a chance, you know? I always remember uh, when we played against the A-team at uh, New Annie's Land, the, the changing rooms are on the same level. So when you open one door, you can see right across into the changing room. And at that time, that was uh, uh, the A-team were playing the week before, and it was my only chance to play against Sean Fitzpatrick. And I hadn't been on the bench or anything. I, I still was in the wilderness captain in the A-team, as you know, because of my small indiscretion. Uh, Cost me four years right enough, but anyway, so I was captain. We had a great mix that day of guys who had got to the top and were maybe just out the, the equation, and also some young guys like me who were bitter and twisted and wanted an opportunity. So, anyway, so we're in the change rooms, and uh, at that time, the Inger the Winger was playing for for them. He had just come from back from rugby league. So anyway, Kenny's uh, Logan's playing, and he opened the door and he went. Jesus Christ, Kenny said, oh, wait, have a look at this, have a look at this, he said. That Craig down some side. So I was like that, so of course I had to open the door and I just happened to look across. 
And the, the next thing, Inga was taking his top off, right? And he had the six pack, and he was the biggest thing I've ever seen. He was an absolute monster. And I went, Kenny, I said, that's no Craig Dead. He said, that's, that's who you're playing again. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny gets all the tackle bags, right? And throws them against the door. And then he goes right up against the door. And he goes, oh, he says, it me, says, I don't know about you, but he said, but I'm not going out there. And then I get behind the door, right? And if anyone had seen it, well, we're killing ourselves because, like, that's how we, we sort of felt because every time you looked across this door, you saw another one, you know, and they were absolutely massive. And also with the black strips and everything, they, you know, everyone's in awe of the old bikes when you grow up as a kid, right? And and I'm going, I'm going to play against Sean Fitzpatrick, and I've been training for this for eight months. I said, I'm going to be as horrible as I can be to this guy. I said, he's world number one, he's whatever. I said, but I'm just going to be horrible and I'm going to give him, I've been in my mind just going, every scrum, I'm going, ah, it's me back. You ready to go this one? Because I'm going. And, and every scrum, I just kept saying to him, right, you ready for the next one, Sean? Here we go. And I was, I was a complete little backside. Anyway. I'm not, not, not proud. And, and I, uh, I thought after the game, he was going to give me a slap, actually. <laughs> he actually introduced me to his mum, which was, Andy remembered, Andy remembered my name. He said, he's not been in the show, but I come down and, and he went, hey, he said, and I, I thought he was going to hit me. And he said, could I introduce you, I introduce you to my mum? And I'm, this is Sean Fitzpatrick, World Cup winner, 100 caps. I've got no caps, right, on the bench. I've never been on the bench. And I'm, you know, dropping the ball at his feet and being a complete idiot. But then after the game, he was brilliant in the press conference. He's going like, who's this guy? Uh, that was a nightmare. Where did he come from? And I'm like, you know, and then lo and behold, I, I got picked for the bench for the first time. I get in the Scotland squad for the first time because of what Sean Fitzpatrick, my hero, said about me. And it wasn't, you know, if he hadn't come out and probably said, like, this guy's reasonable or whatever, I probably might, I might never have got that opportunity. So I owe a lot to him. And as I said, he, when I used to watch the Bledisloe Cup, it was always him against Phil Cairns and that was my that's what I wanted to be and I wanted to be him so it, it's unusual that in a, in a lot of ways a lot of people have disappointed me in my life but uh, Sean Fitzpatrick has always been a complete and utter gentleman and, uh, class act so you, you've gone through a, a dream year you're looking towards the Lions then what happens well I'd like to say oh hi everything you know uh, all went halfway ever after and uh, I went on to, you know, go on the Lions tour and whatever. But as I cemented you, I, in the first test match against New Zealand in the summer, I'd went over a ruck and what they now call the jackal position, but, you know, I'd just be getting over the ball. And Aaron Penny was playing number eight at the time. And he came in and he kneed me right in the base of the net. And it was, I can only describe it as a dull one. Like it was the, the sorest thing I think I've ever had. I mean, it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks. But I was playing against Sean Fitzpatrick, again, my hero. So I, I couldn't let him, let him think he was hurting me. So my, I have a reasonably high threshold for pain, but my neck was killing me. And every scrum, uh, was, it was brutal. But as I said, I was playing against him, so I didn't want him to think I was crap. So... I just kept going, and then when I came back from the tour, I played the second test the next week on my neck as well. It was absolutely agony. In those days, in those days though, you usually had about three injuries that you were carrying, and there was there was sore and no play sore, right? So it's only when it gets to no play sore that you you know 
you, you, it affects you. So anyway, I I went through the district championship, gets picked for the Scotland game, and to be honest, I was driving the car and I was I was I could hardly move my neck, and I was getting physio and stuff like that, but they never ever sent me for an MRI. So anyway, the day before the, I'm picked to play against Wales. So again, I've had my lines letter. There's four games to go, and that basically it's between me. At uh, that time, Woody was up to being the, the hooker for Ireland. Uh, the Welsh guy was a decent uh, player, and uh, Mark Regan. So I'm thinking this is going to sort out who's the, there's three out of four going on this Lions tour. So 27th of March, uh, 27th of January, and I'm booked. Uh, and I'm booked to, to play. And the day before it, I tried to throw the ball to Doddy, and I think Doddy thought I would have done it on purpose, but I actually went to... I'd been losing a bit, if I'm being honest. I had been losing power in my arm, right? But I was coming up with every excuse to say that, you know, it wasn't. And as I said, my goal in life was a lion. So, like, there was nothing stopping me, right? Whether I, you know, if I had a broken arm, I would have still went along to that session. Uh, but I tried to throw the ball and, and my arm had completely gone. I'd just come out of scrum and been doing a bit of tackling and some must have went. And it was like WWF. I was trying to hold my arm up, but it, there was nothing there. So they obviously knew that there was something up. And at that point, I got sent for a, an MRI. Uh, and when they put the MRI up, the, the disc was halfway through my spinal cord. So I'd actually been playing for seven months with... Uh, a ruptured disc in my spinal cord which you know and, and, and the guy says look so you're going to need an operation and I said right well that's fine but can you do it Monday I said because I'm playing against Wales tomorrow and he went eh, no no I'm sorry he said you know you're getting operated on this afternoon he said that, that needs to come out he said yeah, you've been a lucky boy he said what have you been doing today I said well hitting the scrumming machine tackling I've been playing rugby for the last seven months uh, and then so then going back to what you were, uh, David was talking about last week about being in the scanner and stuff. So that I, I, I and, and also, as I said, just to bring it in, but I'm not playing too much now, but our first child had been born in October prematurely and he had been diagnosed with Down syndrome, which is quite a, a big shock at the time and obviously devastating for, for the both of us because it was our first child. But that had sort of changed from, he needed a fairly big heart operation. So, he was in the baby care unit for six months at Stirling and he had just been moved to York Hill. So he was actually in York Hill. So I was going to training sessions and stuff like that and then going into York Hill to see him, spending time and then just basically going back to training. So that, that was our kind of life at that time. And then again, I'm kidding on that everyone's okay. Oh, how, how's, your, how's your neck? Ah, oh, my neck's fine. You know, I can't move, you know. And I was just desperate. So desperate to go on the lines because, as I said, that's for being a wee boy. That was that was my goal. So, anyway, going back to waking up in the scanner, uh, went in, got an MRI, uh, got the operation, and then when I woke up in the morning, I couldn't feel my legs, and so I panicked and I'm hitting all the buttons and stuff. And you know, the realization was that something went wrong. They touched my spinal cord or something had, you know, been damaged and. And so, you know, in that moment, I'm like, all my dreams just, you know, came to an end. And I, I'm in one hospital, so my wife Fiona's having to go to see Ross and York Hill. And I'm in this hospital, supposed to be getting out, you know, a couple of days. And I ended up being two, three weeks. 
but it was apparent that things weren't getting any better. And I then, so I'm back in the scanner again, like Dave was talking about, and the you know, getting scans and different things, and it's a horrible noise. The thing thing going around, and you're going to yourself, like, am I going to walk again? Uh, am, I going to, am I going to be able to have kids? Am I because basically from my waist, then my chest sort of down, my thighs, my thighs were all just like it was as if somebody tied a big harness, and I couldn't get any feeling. I could I could stand up if I locked my legs, but my proprioception and my bending my knees and my going up on my toes had completely gone. So I wasn't in that. That was that was not a good day. Uh, and then a few of the guys came in. You know when you're in a bad way when all the boys piled in from to Murrayfield Hospital because they obviously this was like the Monday and they came in a few of the guys, we Basil and uh, Brian Redpath, a few other guys came in to see me. And when they come in and he's all they're all usually you know happy and go lucky and then they take one look and they go, oh, oh you <laughs> you're not I'll no swear but you're not in a good way are you? And I'm, I'm going, no, I'm 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 struggling here. And. And then that was a, you know, for then on, I knew that the Alliance thing was, you know, that my dreams were, were gone. And, but to be honest, I had bigger things in my mind because uh, Ross had to go through his operation and a big heart operation and stuff. So I basically just, I wasn't getting any better. And so there was no point in me being just sitting in the hospital. So I discharged myself and uh, luckily Ronald, Ronald McDonald's house were a, uh, uh, the charity that were set up and they had a place at York Hill which families could stay so we were thankful and we, we've done a bit of work with that charity and stuff and my, my boys done a few things for them as well but uh, they, they were fantastic because it meant we could stay through so I just basically went through and stayed in York Hill and then that was me from the January uh, for the next two months that was life I just I spent every day with them and, and the funny thing was as I said to you the the press were really nice. They, they couldn't have they'd been more, but they kept saying, you know, that his career's over and he's never going to walk and he's not going to play and he's not going to an Alliance tour and he'll never play again. And I'm, I'm sitting reading this out to Ross going, what are they talking about? I said, I'm, I'm just looking after you. Once you get sorted, and we get you all sorted, get you out here. I said, I'm, I'm going to be back playing rugby. I, said, I promise you, I'll, I'll, I'll play rugby. So that was my sort of, I, I didn't even worry about me uh, for the first time in a long time, I just put my sort of dreams and things. They were in a bag, gone because there's no way I'm recovering in three months. The tours in June, I can't stand up. So uh, that that was done. And then, as I said, that was life for the next two months. Uh, and then, unfortunately, on the 30th of March, we, we went home for the first weekend to change get change of clothes and stuff like that. And uh, we got a phone call saying you need to come back and came back and I, they, they just said that you know they, they, it was the machine that was keeping them alive and and basically you know you're gonna have to let them go so that was that was a difficult period but probably it was funny but it was harder for my wife because uh obviously coming to let somebody go and in your arms and stuff like that's pretty tough but the thing is and this is crazy, but and I'm, I'm not being selfish about it, but I've never been stronger in my mind. You know, I, I just said to myself, look, this is, his journey's over, but I'm just starting. And I was I was convinced that I was going to go back. I was going to find somebody to help me, uh, like I did before with uh, 
you know, with my Sunday school teacher and things. I'll go and I'll get somebody to help me and I'll play. And everyone's going, ah, don't be daft. And my dad's going to me. And, and that, again, I fell out with my dad, but I understand he's going to me. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. You don't have to do this. And, you know, because they could see me falling over. And that was a problem, you know, when I was, once I got myself sort of a bit of training and stuff, I just, I just didn't have any control over my legs. And I was trying to stop quickly. So you know, did, did you need that target to cope with everything you'd yeah. been going through? The, well, the crazy thing is, and now I look back on it, right, and I don't know if Ross was sent to us for us to look after him or he was sent to me to look after me. And and, and that's the way I view it yeah, now. But because I've never been stronger in my mind. My mind was, and I've never been more confident in anything in my life. And like I said to you earlier, to me, uh, the rugby thing, I know that I pushed it, right? And even when I was training for the playing for the seven months, I knew I was I was risking, you know, but I was prepared to risk whatever to get on that lines tour. With him, I was prepared to do anything to make, you know, to to fulfil. And and the good thing was, there was a lot of people said I couldn't do it. And I, my dad said, you know, you don't need to put yourself through this and whatever. And I picked him up against the wall and I said, look, I, this is where I need support. I didn't need, you know, you to be telling me I can't do it. I understand now why he was doing it because he didn't want to he hurt himself. And he saw the nick of everything. But I've never been more set on anything. Or, or as I said, my mind was, and that, that's when anyone says they can't do anything, right? I was lying there and I couldn't even stand up. But I knew that I was going to get back and play rugby. And it took me a year and a half. And I went and I got somebody who was a pole vault coach and we went away and found a venue. And I had myself away like Rocky did in the, the movie. I had myself away at Gravesmouth Stadium for nearly a year doing circuit training. And it started with just a bit of paper with ABC and trying to get my feet, sitting in a seat, trying to get my feet to move when my mind wanted them. Uh, but... Anything's achievable. I, as I said, I, I, I came back, I got I, I got picked for the the tour to Australia and I ended up getting another two caps. I played both test matches. So people, you know, I don't dismiss what, what sort of people say about when they can't do things and I'm not a great, you know, I've not got I've not really got time from because as I said, I, I don't come from a, a privileged background. I never went to a private school, I'm five feet six. Anything I've ever put on my body I've worked. To, to get it and you know I ended up being paralyzed and being able to come back from that low base to get back because I wanted it I'm, so, I'm trying to work out for every, in the times we've spoken which has only been a couple of times before this and, and then you've come on you've been really honest I'm trying to work out if you loved rugby or if you needed rugby uh, I didn't love rugby uh, but I you loved, do now I, I loved yeah I loved what rugby gave me right because I wanted to be someone. I wanted my name on that list, right? Regardless of whatever I had to do, my name was going to be on that list, right? And, and I achieved that. I wanted to be a British Lion, right? I failed, right? But see with rugby, I know, and, and if you ask any of my pals, anyone knew me, I gave it 100%, right? So failure is not failure when you've given someone 100%. And I can completely, rugby, I absolutely love it. I love meeting all the people now. Now I'm getting the life that I, you know, I sacrificed at the time because I can meet people and they respect me for what I've 
done. But also, maybe, you know, they, I understand that they wanted to play for their club and I'm a bit older and I've got kids of my own and stuff like that. And I realised that some of the things I did were... And, but in those days, that was the game, right? So you play the game you're in. You know, it's a bit like the cyclone stuff like that. In the days of cyclone, you know, everyone was at it. You know, but that was the, those days. It's not acceptable now. But Lance Armstrong is still my hero because he was one of the hardest, most driven people. And I saw him lying in that bed uh, with his brain tumour. He still got up those mountains, right? He may have been taking stuff, right? And I've never taken, just for the record, right? <laughs> their drug testing regime was drug testing. I got drug tested every time. It was supposed to be random, right? But I just, if I was number two or 22, my name came out the list, right? So I've done more drug tests than probably anyone. Um, but, yeah, as I said, and with Ross as well, for me, I, I got away with a lot of the pain uh, of losing a, your first child because I felt as if he was with me the whole way. And, and I had some, whereas my wife went into the fundraising stuff and that gave her something to do to help the hospitals that had looked after him, to the Ronald McDonald House and things like that. And you need something to take your mind away. You know, we're blessed, look, we've got five gorgeous kids. This was, this was a long time ago. But, you know, and, and with Ross as well, we tried everything, right? We, we went through the, the procedures, you know, we were there for him and whatever. And the life he would have had would have been quite difficult. You know, he would have Down syndrome, the heart defect, you know, so, in some ways as well, the wee, the wee man's in a place that said, whether he was said to help me or vice versa, I don't know. I was there for him, but I just I don't think I would ever have had the drive to get back and play rugby if if he hadn't. If he had been alive, I think he would have taken up a lot of our time. And also, again, with work and stuff like that, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to put as much time in uh, getting the business. Uh, sorted now, and that's why you know when I'm when I'm talking to people, I just keep saying to them, you've got things don't come always when you think they should, you know. And I was twenty, you know, twenty six years before I got my first cat. Uh, I never got the lions, but as I said, I put that to bed. That that's you know I was talked about and was nearly there, but there's loads of people who have near you know almost. I've heard a lot of stories and. You know, the people have bad luck with injuries and stuff like that. It's, it's terrible. So that's life. Uh, rugby, you know, and, and even with work now, you know, I look back and I look 28 years religiously, look at those figures daily, you know, wanting to be up there, wanting to be taught. I mean, I've, I've been pushing myself in the ground for, you know, a lot, <laughs> a lot of years. And I sometimes say to myself, right, when does the fun start, you know? And, and now I'm actually in a quite a good place. I'm, I'm not as crazy as I used to be. I still feel as if I've got to go cycling all the time and, you know, and, and do, do, do my stuff just in case, you know. In case the call them. comes. In case the city needs you. In case I've got to give somebody a tanking, right? But, <laughs> and, you know, and you've got to make, have to protect your family or whatever. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'll ever be at peace, right? Because I, that's just me. As I said, I've... I'm going to set up my new business and I'm going to go and do things. But, you know, I, I, I feel as if I've got to go and say to people, look, there's nothing, my kids, there's nothing that, that's off bounds about what they can achieve. You've got to set the goal high. You know, the only thing that will limit your dreams, right, are, are your own mind. Know what anyone else thinks. 
you know, people that have affected my life, I didn't get selected, right? There was a bit of politics, there was a bit of cheating, there was, a, you know, there was other things that went on. But I, got, I, I, I stopped worrying about everybody else and I just wanted to be the best version of me that I could be, right? The strongest, the fittest, the hardest, right? And, you know, as I said, I'm not a big guy. So, you know, if somebody's blessed with, you know, I look, I, it makes me laugh when I see by the boy Van der Merv, you know, uh, He's a big and, lad, Duan. He's a know, big lad. He's he, just, you know, and I, 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 I dreamt of it being that, you know, size. But would he, would he, he would be the same makeup as me. He, he'd probably no. have the same <laughs> as, as most no. people have. So, you know, I've had to scrap at the bottom end. And as I said, I'm, I don't even think I'm, you know, I certainly wasn't a, a greatly talented rugby player. And I certainly wasn't a brilliant salesman. But, you know, it's amazing what a bit of hard work can do. And, you know, if you, if you think somebody's going to make it overnight and be an overnight success, you know, even with the business, it took me 28 years, 2017, to actually, you know, the first time to actually see some money in my bank account, you know. And then, luckily, you know, we've been able to sort of move on and, and I, you know, I'm in a situation where now I can do what I want. Well, nice one. Well, what, what you need to do is you need to come back and tell us about these future plans because... <laughs> We've taken up a whole of the time. I love listening to you. Uh, your story is unique and you're a determined little bugger, which I think is probably how you'll have been described by a lot of people when they're being polite. So we finish these off. You seem like you're a happier man maybe than you've been or maybe more content or a bit wiser. I'm not sure. So for Kevin McKenzie, happiness is? Contentment. Nice. And it looks like you've reached it. Kev, I really appreciate it. It's been brilliant to speak to you. And I think there's a lot more to come. So we'll keep in touch and hopefully you'll be back for, for number two. And I'll see you at Bridge Hall. Definitely. And thanks for having me on. Top man. Thanks a lot, Take Kev. Care. Brilliant to see you. Cheers, Cheers fella. Uh, what a man. What a story. Absolutely unique. And I thought I could talk. No, I got a stitch on Kevin McKenzie. But been through it all. And a lot of it maybe we've not heard of before but amazing that inspired by david smith's podcast he gave me a call and i've loved speaking to him and i really really look forward to catching up with him in person if you've enjoyed it you can get us on apple acast and spotify please subscribe leave us a review if you've got something nice to say you can also watch the video on facebook and on youtube please subscribe tell your pals and get, let's get listening and maybe we'll see you in person at some point as the world begins to open up my name is Bruce Aitchison from the Happiness Is podcast and my happiness is egg-shaped. I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon. Thank you. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And, and our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Oh, what's going on? It's not about this last night. And he said happiness is egg-shaped. Um, happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.